Welcome back to the Hold That Podcast podcast, everybody. And Brody, is anything happening in the LSU sports world with the football team in particular? Nothing at all. No, very uh, boring time at LSU. As always, one of the more boring beats in the country. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a very uh, ham-fisted analogy here, uh, trying to tie in recent events. Did you watch the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight on Saturday? I did not get to. I was unfortunately okay. covering the game. It was a, it was a fantastic fight, but I watched the whole thing. I was I was into it, um, but after about so uh, Fury knocked out Wilder in the eleventh round. But about after round four, like you you knew what was going to happen. Like Wilder was withstanding all of these punches, and it was incredible to watch him. Like I don't understand how he lasted that long, and then he had some good shots of his own. It, it made for a great fight, but the whole time I was like. And then, of course, you know, nobody else in the world is thinking this. I was like, Deontay Wilder feels like LSU right now. Like, haymakers everywhere. And he is like this guy who came in to this Fury trilogy undefeated, knocks out everybody. Like, but all he's got is his right hand. He doesn't know how to box. Like, that, that is the short analysis of it. He just has this huge right hand that knocks out everybody. And it didn't knock out Tyson Fury. And he cracked him like over the trilogy he knocked fury down i think three times four times with like stuff that would have stopped every other fighter in the world and it did not stop fury fury won blah 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 but like i feel like lsu is this behemoth of the sport kind of bouncing off ropes and ed ogeron and all this stuff and it's just like everybody in the world is waiting for the knockout punch and it's not fun. I don't enjoy being on the receiving end of that, but I feel like that's where LSU is. Am I wrong? I gotta say, man, I love making fun of your analogies, but I think that one works. I think there's a little, there's a lot of truth to that. Where it's, yeah, it's this thing that everybody sees as this juggernaut, and we all know where it's headed right now. But you know, credit where it's due, they're kind of hanging in there. And and I, I, I know that's not like what anyone's thinking right now, but I do actually give it. I was drawing a little bit of credit with how he's handled these these few weeks. So if we want to keep that parallel going, I think that might be it. But yeah, no, I mean, obviously, and we're we're like tiptoeing around the obvious thing because we don't feel like we need to say it. But the obvious thing going on right now, obviously, is LSU just got quite frankly destroyed by Kentucky on the road, and. You know, it was Ed Ogeron's future was already pretty much likely that he was likely going to not last the season. But I think it's safe to say Saturday was kind of, you know, as I wrote in my column, kind of the night the dam the dam burst, you know, where it was the night where everybody went from this seems like it's happening to this is an inevitability where there is literally no possible way around it. And uh, I think that's a it's always going to be a sad situation and framing it any other way is just kind of, you know, Heartless, I guess, for lack of a better term. But LSU, yeah, they got crushed. And they got crushed in ways they hadn't been crushed all year. And I think that's almost, for me, where the red flag comes out. Because it's like, it almost, and I am not using those dramatic words. Like, they quit and all that stuff. Because I just hate that. And I don't think that's really what happened. But there was a little bit of that. A little bit of the the run defense that had looked pretty solid kind of recently and the, mm-hmm. the past defense they were just getting schooled and you saw coordinators on both sides of the ball just schooling LSU in ways you hadn't really seen since maybe the Chip Kelly game and I, I think that's where you're just like oh wow they're finding new ways to get destroyed and it just looks like the effort's not there anymore and then you're adding on like three of your best players going down to you know Keishon Butte out for the season now it's just uh 
it, it officially was kind of for me the moment where it was like, I don't think there's a way to recover from this. Because obviously the next the five of the next six games are actually the hardest games of the season, it's worth reminding people. So they haven't even played their toughest games yet. They're three and three, and it just there, there's no light. It's, I don't know how to put this. I'll, I'll just say it appears that Ogeron is not going to last the season as LSU head coach. And I do not know when it will happen. Scott Woodward is a very difficult man to read, and a difficult man to know what he wants, but... It does not seem that Ojan will last the season. I think is that is that okay for me to say? That's I mean you you were you were the source reporter here. I here's here's my couple thoughts on UK, and then we will gladly move on. I was thinking throughout the whole game, I was like LSU somehow found a new way to lose. Like it yeah. was an opposite game. The only thing they did well on Saturday was run the ball. Exactly. I mean what? And then. Just the defense. I mean, it, it looked. I think I tweeted this out. It looked like we were playing Alabama in any year that is not 2019. With, <laughs> it's exactly what it looked like. Yep. Late in the game, holes are opening up. It's like block, 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 block. There's a giant hole, and oh my god, he's at the third level already. Like a, there is a safety in between the running back and the end zone, and that hap- I feel like that happened four or five times, and it was just like it was so humiliating and demoralizing, and like. I know part of that is scheme, but other part of it is being out physical by Kentucky. Yeah. Brody, I, I don't like. And hey, it's, I got to say this, though. We do have to stop I acting know, like. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, I've written it, too. I know it's a bad loss, but Kentucky's just been good for three years. We got to give them credit. But anyway, continue. I know. But but still, it's it, it is not. It is a status thing. It is. They should thing. not have the physical advantage. Yeah. No. And it was just like, man. I, I don't know. And then, like, the offense felt out scheme for most of the game, and I know they scored some garbage-time points. I mean, shout-out to Malik Neighbors for an incredible touchdown catch. Hey. But, it was, but it was 35-7, you know? It was like, way yeah. too late. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just the, the the most upsetting game of the season so far in a horrible season. And I don't know. I mean, the only guy I have to I have to give props to is Ty Davis-Price, the much-maligned Ty Davis-Price. It, it didn't matter at all, but... I mean, he ran hard. They somehow found ways to get him in space, and he got—he had arguably the best game of his career, which uh, kind of says a lot about you know maybe the unfortunate way his career has gone, where it, you know his time in the spotlight has not been the best, and now his best game is one of LSU's worst losses of the Adosron era. So I feel bad for him. Uh, props to him. And you know what? I, that's all I want to talk about the Kentucky game because it was bad. It was. It was just humiliating. We we looked like Mississippi State out there, and I know we barely beat State, but I don't know. I, I'm going I'm going through old tropes now. That's that's what I'm lashing out at. It's like we just look like a bottom tier SEC West team, and that's that's not where LSU should be. And so, as you said, well, guys, before we move on, I also just want to like you know keep piling on, but it was also like. I mean, the offense had a bad game and all of that, but like none, none of the thing that I saw with the offense was like new information to me, if that makes sense. Like, like you said, the running game was shocking how well that actually did go. But even that, it was probably when they were dropping back into pass mm-hmm. defense. You know what I mean? Yep. But yep. still, give credit where it's due. But in the passing game, you know, it kind of continues this weird trend of Johnson starts eight of eight and looks really sharp, and then just ends really like just the rest of the game was brutal. He had a tough day, but everything about the offense is like that's kind of what I thought to some extent defensively it was 
it was shocking because I know we talk at length about how Kentucky finally has an offense and all that, but they haven't looked that good. Like it's not like they've actually like dominated offensively. No. And what was jarring was watching just and yes, there were probably four coverage busts that I really counted. There were some bad ones. But what was more jarring to me was how often they'd get these like 25, 30 yard chunk plays where it doesn't even really look like somebody is specifically messing up. Like they just Called a play that fooled LSU to go exactly like to play them exactly how they wanted to play actions where a tight end would be magically set up 30 yards downfield for a nice play. Like they just look sharper and smarter than LSU in every way. So again, it's just like worth mentioning because Jake Peets has been the guy dunked on for the last like four weeks, and Jaronte Jones was like, "Look how great that is." Well, I think you saw Saturday Liam Cohen kind of worked Jaronte Jones, so it kind of evens out. But anyway, I'm sorry. I know it's not like the point of what this podcast needs to be, but it's like you said, they found new ways to lose, and it was just like, oh, we were a little fooled with the defense. Because, for example, I still believe everything we said about the defense for the last few weeks. They did some great stuff. But it is one of those things where I love where numbers tell us something we don't know yet. And SP Plus and like all the, you know, the, all the efficiency stuff would actually say they'd be like, LC's offense is in the 30s nationally. The defense, even though you're, you think they look good, they're actually were in the 60s. And I remember mm. being like, I don't know if I buy that. I'm going to veer from that. I'm going to have my own thoughts here. No, I think that actually kind of predicted what happened. Anyway, sorry. It, it checks out. No, and well, it, it's, it was my other thought. And I texted you this late Saturday night that I don't know how this goes on for five more weeks. I don't. Yep. Because it, it, it is the worst. <laughs> The worst possible outcome at the start of this stretch that is like, and, and, and you know, to, to, to linger on Kentucky one more second, you know, they had a great win against Florida, but it was like, I would not call it a strong win. It was a big special teams play. It was, they had Florida in the right spots and it was a tough game, but like, it was kind of like they fought for it. They scrounged for a win and they got it Big great, no. but it, it never scared me as I was like, you know what? LSU could go in and have the same kind of game and come out on top on the other side. Like maybe they could pull out a win. And it was just from the middle of the second quarter. I, I never even had hope of an LSU win at all. And it was just crazy. And then if, if Kentucky is, and maybe, maybe Kentucky is really good this year. I mean, I know they're up to number 16. They have a huge game against Georgia this weekend, which LOL, I don't think anybody's beating Georgia this year. So uh, good luck, Kentucky. Good luck, Mark Stoops. But I don't like. I just don't see this going on for another five weeks of, you know, where Deontay Wilder just taking shots the whole time. Like, please, somebody mercifully like something has to change. And I know that is the natural thing to say. Ed Ogeron needs to be fired. I have such mixed feelings about that because, as we were talking about before we recorded, like, for all of how terrible the last two years have been, and I do think he probably does. A parting of ways needs to happen, but it bums me out because he was an author of some of the best football memories of my LSU fandom, and that's going to get lost in the coverage soon enough, and we're going to do a full, you know, basically in memoriam after, you know, this finally happens, but um, I think that something needs to happen before the end of the season, And and I hate to say that because it's just messy and it's not fun, but like, I don't know how this happens for five more weeks and you know you're talking about our guys getting out schemed I mean look who's coming up Lane Kiffin's coming up like Nick Saban's coming up uh Dan Mullen Dan Dan Mullen who has out schemed LSU's defense out schemed Dave Aranda every time he saw him like I mean I I think we know what class of coach Dave Aranda is and I you know I know Durante Jones is a promising coach but 
I got to say, if, if he's going up against Dan Mullen, I'm going to pick Mullen every time. And so how does this happen over and over again? And it's just, I, I don't know how it goes on. So as we said earlier, tell me what you're hearing about just the coaching situation. It's, there's no way Ed can save his job, right? I never say things like no way, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it appears it is it is over for Ed Ogeron, and it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a really good education into what Scott Woodward wants and what he is like as an AD. It's our first real time seeing like this um, something like this since he's been at LSU, because I don't know, you know, how he's gonna handle this in the sense of he is. I know this much. He is not a reactionary man. He's not an overly impulsive guy. He is a pretty bottom line thinker and a pretty you know, I think he isn't going to fire somebody impulsively just to get it done. He is going to do something when he sees there is a clear benefit to do. Like, in terms of the in-season versus end-of-season thing, like, he's not going to do it just because he thinks he needs to. It's going to be, is there, what's the benefit versus the counter of, of in-season versus out-of-season? I think he's going to wait. And, and you know, I think actually leading into that game, I think a lot of people really did, tell, you know, around the program really did think it was going to be wait till the end of the season if he can. I, but I think Saturday probably does change that. Yeah, I mean, just how it looked like things were just unraveling. I think that does change the timeline. But I, I also think everything that we've ever learned about Scott Woodward in his past and here is he's a have every duck in a row, have every solution ready, have all of that lined up before he does things. So you look at he waited till um, – Willingham finished his season at Washington during an 0 and 12 season when he took over as AD. Waited till then to go fire and to go hire Steve Sarkeesian after. Waited what season? Uh, he waited the season, you know, to you know fire Kevin Sumlin, even though some wild stuff was. If I call, I could be completely wrong there. I apologize if so, but uh, you know, I, I think he and he tends to have the guy lined up right away. And I even even you look at the hiring of Kim Mulkey. You know, I mean. They fired Nikki Fargus and basically Whoa, they, 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 they didn't technically fire her. Did exactly. They? She, thank you. That's my point. New opportunity. Everybody in that program knew she was on her way out for quite a while, but they had the solution lined up and waited on her terms to get it done so that when she was out, they could, while doing that, also announce the replacement, basically. Anyway, sorry. That's kind of how he operates. So I do think he's going to, one, you know, if humanly possible, wait. And again, the fact that it hasn't happened and it's after Ed Ogeron's Monday press conference, probably not going to happen this week and so on. Like, that's proving he's not that impulsive. Two, I think he is not going to do it until he has every duck, you know, in a row, everything lined up completely. And that goes for the lawyering that's going to be going on and is going on already behind the scenes of buyout stuff and uh, off the field things that are, and you know, being kind of you know debated on right now and if they're going to negotiate that buyout down stuff like that i think that's all getting ironed out i think he's not going to do it until he is sure on an interim and i mean that's not a secret but the interim situation has been a issue you know through this whole conversation for four weeks right. now is you know, who in the world is the interim because shoot the biggest criticism of Ed ogeron right now is how you know troubled of a staff he's hired so mm-hmm. i don't it's not exactly like you're going to turn to your inexperienced 39-year-old OC who's already under fire. That's a thing. And then there's just a lot that I think he is going to wait on. So anyway, it's a long way of saying I don't think he's going to be impulsive and I don't think it's going to happen. I, as of right now, I don't think it's going to happen this week. And if it doesn't happen this week, it almost opens it up to I don't know when it's going to happen. And I apologize. But I will end that long rant with 
Scott Woodward is a guy that is difficult to truly know. He's a guy who keeps his cards very close to the vest. Everything I even just said about him is even more proof of that, how he kind of no one knows anything until it happens. So I don't know, and he can prove me wrong at literally any second. I won't lie to you guys and pretend I know. But yeah, that's the situation I'd say. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think judging his history is important because... You know, he does have this reputation as a big game hunter and he goes fishing for the big names. And if if he fires Ed after next week or, you know, before any time in December, he will not be able to do that immediately. He will not have his ducks in a row because this coach who, whatever the big name is going to be that he's going to go after, will still be coaching football somewhere else, likely a successful place. Wait, can you... So, I'm so- I'm so sorry. Can you say that again? I'm just saying that, like, he will, like, if he fires Ed midseason, he will not be able to have his ducks in a row because oh, the exactly. coach he will go after will still be coaching football at another school successfully, theoretically. Um, no, no it's, a, it's a crucial point. Yeah, you're not going to replace him midseason. And I think one of the main pros and cons to now or later is the recruiting class argument. And yeah. don't get me wrong, you can't wait till after the early signing period. I mean, no, I mean, at some point you got to. But but I don't know if LSU is exactly one of those schools where you have to make a panic move to save the recruiting class. Like, I think right. LSU's recruiting class, especially considering how many Louisiana kids are the, the highlight stars of that class, I don't exactly think that this class, I mean, obviously it's going to take a hit. That's just common sense. But I don't think it's going to unravel you know, with the Otron situation. I'm sure it's taking a hit. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but I, I don't think it's going to unravel. I, th- I still think it'll be a perfectly good class and the new hire might even elevate it. So yeah, I, I don't think that's, there's like- that, that's the classic thing. It'll take a hit, uh, you know, in the short term. And then uh, whatever big name comes in to replace Ed, whenever that is, we'll get some guys in, bring some, bring some guys back, whatever it's, it's going to be fine. Um, so if he does fire Ed in season, it will be the first time he's ever really done that. Right. I could be completely incorrect. I have not looked up every little one he's done, but yes, as far as I know. So let's talk. I know we, we briefly talked about interim options, but like the only two I can come up with are Corey Raymond and Steve Ensminger. Am I missing somebody? Um. Well, this goes to a different thing of who's a good one, but I think there are others you could consider. Mickey Joseph would be one. I think they play hard for him. I think he's a guy who does a lot of recruiting. He's a major yeah. recruiter. Of course he is. Like you can make an argument there. Um, Greg McMahon would be my wild card. It's not going to be Greg McMahon. I feel confident about that, but he would be my wild card one because special teams coach is basically the one coach in the entire team who coaches everybody on the team. And he's a veteran guy who's been around a lot of great teams for decades. Like he'd fill that kind of veteran presence role and knows what he's doing. But yeah, I think, I think Corey Raymond is probably the best option on staff. And I think Steve Ensminger is a fun possibility. I think Steve Ensminger would hate that job. Every <laughs> as a man I know pretty well, I think he would be he would it's everything he hates. But I, I think it is something that has like been discussed. I mean, he's still around. He he is And he's been around a little more than he was, from what I understand. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't fun. I, I hate, you know, it's not even fun to be like, oh, who's the end I'm going to be? I just, yeah, no. it sucks. And, and it sucks that it's happening right now because I, I would rather it happen at the end of the year. And, and, you know, I was thinking of, to the last time with, with Les and, and whatnot. And, and you were not on the beat yet when Les got fired, right? No, I was not. Arrived a year later. It was, it was the next year. Yeah. Okay. But it, do you remember the year before when he saved his job with that win against A&M? Yeah. Like, I don't even feel Ed could win two more games and there's not even going to be a scintilla of that. Like no, there was this, we, no. it's, it, and, and that, that what is, it's crazy to think about how different that is. And it bums me out because it, there's not even a chance. It doesn't even feel like there's a chance. And like, it feels weird to say that on October 11th at one thirty as we record this podcast, that like LSU as a, as a program is done for the season. <laughs> well, Overall. and you know what the difference is? I mean, there's a lot of comps to the miles air that can be made, but I, I think the different, the fundamental difference is when Les was coaching for his job, it was, it was just different. It was like, you're not achieving the level we want to, but it wasn't, you're not doing well. Like his struggles right. were nine and three years and yeah. frustration over the offense, not modernizing. And this is in no world of less miles defense account, but like even this, it's you are three and three to three teams that in, you know, any world you are, you should be better than at least like this mm-hmm. current version of them. And yes. it's just, it's not even the same. And I think that's proof of the situation that, it's it's kind of wild how far LSU has gone. And everyone likes to bring up, I know there's still a lot of people saying, like, you can't fire a coach two years after a title. That's insane. But it's not even just the results. Because I think a lot of just, like, in a vacuum context can be um, explained. You know, like, last year can be explained. It can't. A lot of wild stuff went on last year. That can be explained away. Or even this year, like, most of the time a coach winning, you know, taking a hit, you're going to get a little benefit of the doubt. It's not that. It's that the direction just seems to be trending downward. There's little faith that things are going to improve. There's little faith that, and again, this is not my opinion. I'm just telling you, the, like, there's little faith in the building that he's a guy who's going to make the right hire to turn things around. or you know, And that's where you, it's not about just the results. It's about where the forecast is, and that's the hard part. Yep. I mean, he's had, he's had two chances, and he has failed miserably on one. And he juries out, but the jury is also seeing a three and three team on the field that uh, will not be favored in any other game besides ULM. So fun stuff. Um, let's quickly talk about, and you know, we've already talked about it. the moment that anything happens, we will have an emergency podcast for you guys. So um, we won't, I don't want to dive too deep into who's going to come replace him because we're not even there yet, but I do want to talk about, what I would like to see out of a replacement. And I want somebody, I want a scheme guy. I knew I'm you tired. Were say this. Well, I'm tired of relying because, you know, the, the whole encapsulated Ed Orgeron era, he's a master recruiter. He brings in all the talent, you know, so on and so forth. And everything depends on your coordinators. And, you know, for Davos Swinney, that works out. Maybe not so much this year, but. Whatever. I mean, Dabo has built this empire over there that has been consistently excellent forever that plays in a worse conference, but we we don't have to quill on that. Um, Ed has shown that he does maybe 
does not hit on every coordinator hire and he can't keep him around, which is, you know, that's a whole reason in itself. I mean, you can look at 2019 and both coordinators went on to bigger and better things and you understand why they did that. I'm just, I don't want to rely on that anymore because it all depends on that. No matter how much talent you have. I mean, look at him this year. So I would like somebody that is either an offensive mastermind or defensive mastermind and has proven themselves at a big level. Hopefully they're a head coach. I assume they're going to be a head coach somewhere else that, that will come here. Um, I, I just feel like you have a better base floor with that. You know, am, am I wrong to think that? <sighs> okay. I get it. I really do get it. And by the way, I'm not even saying you shouldn't hire a guy who's more, yeah, like to what you're saying, more of a scheme guy. And I know I have a feeling, I'm, I know you haven't said the names yet. I feel like you're going to pitch Elaine Kiffin, for example, or something. And I, I'm not even saying do or don't. Like, I actually have no opinion on which way you should hire. I actually, I think it is an incredible flaw or mistake, I mean, to pigeonhole yourself with a type of hire. Not even pigeon your, pigeonhole yourself, but get too reactive over what just didn't work. It's the biggest problem I see with coaches, coaching hires, like, across history. It's not about the type of hire. It is just about the hire. It is really not complicated. Like, it's very complicated. So I think hiring coaches is one of the most complicated things that no one knows. It's like quarterbacks. But it is just... Is he good or is he not? It's just, you have to just think that way. Like, are they competent? Are they good at these things? Because, I, I I mean, look at the best coaches of the last 20 years. Urban Meyer has never called an offensive play in his career. Uh, Dabo Swinney has not called offensive plays. And I know Nick Saban is a defensive, a brilliant defensive mind and a genius scheme guy. He is. But Nick Saban doesn't call his defenses either. These, every I mean, I'm, again, I know. Okay, I'm, I'm, okay, I, I'm going to push back on that because that is over reducing it to me. Because Urban Meyer, no, they are in, really all three of them are really good football coaches. They are, Urban Meyer is not called plays. He's never been the play caller. Any, I point. know, but 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 he he ushered in a new era of offensive strategy along with Dan Mullen. He oversaw it, yeah. I know, but like you can't say that Dabo Swinney like oversees or has any hand in that stuff. And it feels yeah, like Urban does. Meyer had more of a hand in it. And like <laughs> Nick Saban is one of the best defensive coaches to ever coach a football. Like, I, I don't understand. No, like, Saban the, might not be, you're right. No. Hey, Saban might not be a great there? example, but even him, he is not, he is a CEO. Every, again, this is not me saying hire a CEO. This is me saying most great coaches in college football are not the play callers or even really the guys who are coming up with the scheme. They aren't. Urban Meyer gets credit because he saw where football was going and moved that way and hired guys who specialized in that and all that. And and, and Dabo gets credit. I think she could get credit for that too. It is not a – I mean, here's the best way to put this. And this is not me trying to dunk on it, Hojan. Anyway, almost anyone you hire, especially for a job of this quality, I promise you, almost any one of these candidates we're talking about – are good football coaches. They know football, and they are good, pe- good people who are, have a history of being good hires of coordinators. Like most of the time, every great coach we know, they have to replace coordinators every two, three years, and they're good at it. The criticism needs to be with the guy who was doing the CEO job and at Ostron. The criticism needs to be in his ability to do those things, his ability to hire, his ability to adjust. But like, say, like again, like I'm not even saying this person, but Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle is not like Luke Fickle is a CEO as well, but he's really good at hiring coordinators. Like, but he knows football too and can help adjust that. So just because I'm not saying, yeah, I don't know if you should go hire a guy who's a 
again, I'm not criticizing Ogeron, but just this, like a, a line coach who has never been a coordinator. Yeah, maybe not. But veering, like focusing too hard on being like, I want Lane Kiffin, the coordinator, because I don't want to hire OC every year. I think that is a flawed way of thinking. I'm not. I'm not saying I want to. I want a guy who's a coordinator. But I think the middle ground where we are going to find ourselves here is that I want a coach who will a be good at hiring coordinators. Yes, that that should be a requisite. Yeah. But b their their expertise will also make those coordinators better. You know, they, because I don't think that Ed Ogeron is marching into Jake Pete's office and giving him ideas on the offense. Or if he is, I don't know if they're good. I mean. You know, Ed does have a reputation for being meddlesome at times, and maybe it never works out as well as he thinks it should. You know, uh, see Matt Canada. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, Luke Fickle was a defensive coordinator. Lane Kiffin, I know Lane Kiffin calls plays, but, like, to your point, I want somebody maybe above that level, somebody who can still elevate and be a good football coach and also be a good judge of coordinator talent. And it seems like Ed is just throwing dice at these coordinators and he he hit on Joe Brady. He hit on, you know, he kept David Randa. He didn't even hire David Randa. He kept him around though. Smart. Um, and then the last coordinator hires have just not been good and it well, sunk right. him because he hasn't elevated those guys. I mean, he's like, it's your basically criticism like, should be with Ed Ogeron, not that style of coach. Like, James Franklin is one of the main candidates here, and his name is not going to go anywhere. It's going—I mean, I'm not saying he's going to take the job or if he's going to get offered the job. I have no idea. But he is one of those main guys on a list. He—I mean, yes, he has been an OC in his career, but again, James Franklin is not the schematic mind uh, right. on either side of the ball. He, but he's a okay. Every single guy on this list, or the guys who are being pitched, the main people. They are good football coaches. They are not – like, like, well, I'm not saying Ed Ogeron's not a good football coach, but Ed Ogeron is not like a X's and O's guru. Every single one of these guys knows football and they're good coaches, but they're not necessarily the scheme guys aside from like a Jimbo or a Lane. So James Franklin or Luke Fickle or even a Mario Cristobal or whatever, they do know football. They're going to be fine. But, yeah, like James Franklin is really great at hiring coordinators. So, again, my thing is the criticism – we shouldn't overreact to because Ed Ogeron was bad at hiring coordinators. Now we're kind of fearful of hiring guys who have to hire coordinators because that's going to have to happen. I know I you know somebody, that. I, I know you I know need that. So, I need somebody above that that level where it is all dependent on the coordinators. Yeah, of course. I need somebody who will make the coordinators better. I mean, Nick Saban is the best coach in college football history, and he has had a rotating cast of coordinators. And despite their loss this weekend, which was hilarious, like – their teams are still excellent. Like they're still an excellent football team. And you can say yes, because they have the best talent in the country, which helps of course. But like, I don't know. You can criticize Bill O'Brien all you want over there. And I'm not saying I want Bill O'Brien to be LSU's head coach. No, thank you. But like their offense is still incredible this year. And it is, it is just because of the level of talent and the system that is in place. And that just doesn't feel like it was here with Ed. So I take yeah, your point. Absolutely. Well, that almost is, yeah, like that's to my point is, yeah, I think it's a Nick Saban is a great example of he has to change coordinators on both sides of the ball. He is just a good football coach and a good yeah. football mind and a great CEO who knows exactly where to, where football's going, what I need to do on either side of the ball, even if he's not an offensive guru. Like, all right, this guy is my guy and all that and can just run a program from top to bottom that can keep continuity. I mean, if anything, the defense has been the detractor the last few years. You know what I mean? He just knows how to run a football program. 
shoot, I'm an Indiana alum, Tom Allen. Tom Allen was becoming one of the more like respected defensive minds in football. He does not call LSU's defense. I mean, I use defense anymore. Kane Womack did a great job last few years, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's but still like yeah you're right he oversees it and he oversees the offense they're good football coaches and and a Franklin or a Fickle or all these guys they're involved on both sides they're good football coaches I think Ed Ogeron is more of an outlier than I think a lot of people realize so like don't knock CEOs because of Ogeron I think he is an extreme version of that that isn't the he's the not, not even the exception but he's more of the exception than the rule of what that role needs to be and now i'm sounding like i'm arguing for ceo i'm actually just arguing for don't get reactive to a certain type just hire the guy who knows how to run a program best in any way i'm not saying i, I don't want the head coach to be calling plays they don't have to call plays that's not a requisite yeah. i'm just saying they i want some specialty i want some expertise on one side of the ball a little more than Ed Ogeron has clearly. Does it? My question then is: Does any any option on the list not qualify for that? They all qualify for that. Yeah, they do. Um, the the you, two maybe, people, yeah, the two right. people tops on my list right now are Lane Kiffin and Luke Fickle. Yeah, and that is maybe reactive. Um, I I would welcome James Franklin. He does not excite me as he excites other people. I I, I don't know. I'm just not like enamored with they haven't been super consistent at Penn State and I know it's a tough place to be super consistent but it's still a great football program and he's done a great job there but I don't know man it, he just he doesn't do it for me and that's not even I, I don't have I can't break that down for you data wise but yeah I mean he, he has had his struggles as a head coach when we're talking about late game situations and timing and Penn State for however much talent they, they put out seems to underachieve a lot um, that's not what I want here. Um, an interesting name that somebody asked me about and that I, I had heard he might have sniffed around the job a little bit is Eric Bieniemy. And I, I uh, don't know, I don't know why this guy never gets hired for a head coaching job. And maybe that's for some other reporter out there to, to figure out. It seems like he interviews at every single job. He coordinates one of the best offenses in the NFL in NFL history. <laughs> it's because he has Patrick Mahomes, but it, it's a great offense. Um, I don't know. So, I, I know, th- I know there will be so many suitors for this job and uh, we, we can do a, a deeper dive on these guys when the firing actually happens, whenever that does, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was told Eric, Bain, I mean, you know, as far back as September, did kind of reach out to LSU and had some interest. I'm not sure if there's any interest back in him. Um, yeah, the enemy, I don't know exactly why he has exactly uh, why he you know has gone unhired so many times when he's in the cycle every single time. I do know if you look at his Wikipedia page, there are a lot. Again, I am not reporting anything. This is almost probably reckless me to say, but if you look at his Wikipedia, there are some pretty you know tough off the field things, and you know in his past uh, maybe that maybe that is part of it i don't know the answer to that so maybe i shouldn't even be saying that but no i think it's tough uh i'm not even arguing for or against lane at all i think lane kiffin is one of the better offensive minds the last 20 years and is a great coach and he's doing awesome awesome stuff at Ole miss right now but and by the way i've heard i you know, can't confirm there's a lot of interest in lane kiffin like he's a name that has come up to me from a lot of people there's no doubt about it i i just i don't know like it's i think you do like everything about scott woodward does say two different things yes he loves a big name hire. He loves a Hollywood hire. Like that's his yeah. thing. But he also loves get pe- like if you look at every single one of them aside from probably Sark at Washington. But even Sark at Washington was kind of like he was a skyrocketing coordinator. So that was a big name. 
But aside from that, they've all pretty much been guys who are proven winners and program builders who have proven they can take somewhere to a place they hadn't been. And Lane is, yeah, you could totally, this year is awesome. But Lane has never as a head coach, at least at the Power 5 level, ever proven he can build a sustainable program. That's not me saying he can't. That's not me criticizing him. It's just like, to me, he hits the Hollywood part to a T. He feels almost kind of like LSU in a way. I think there could be something really fun there. And he'd be entertaining. But I, I just don't know if like, he fits that thing of he has one year of having Ole Miss rolling. Even that, there's a lot of football left. FAU did an awesome job, but obviously that's just a different job. And Tennessee, USC aren't exactly great indicators of Lane Kiffin. So it's just like, again, not for or against. Just like I think that's a big thing is I if I'm making this higher, I'm looking at people who have proven the ability to build programs. Because that, it's like the way I – again, I feel like I keep following this thing of criticizing at Ogeron, but – I think the last between Miles and Ogeron, I think there are two straight hires who guys who have shown some major just kind of flaws in handling the top to bottom of a program. There's some just kind of you know silly stuff going on these last 17 years, and LSU for 17 years has still been pretty darn good at football, even mm-hmm. with those silly that's those silly mistakes. And it's like they've still won three titles over this time. I think if LSU just hires a guy who is a guy who knows how to run a program truly. I think the sky is the limit for LSU. Like, it is still, even a program with three titles in 20 years, still a slightly untapped thing that, like, can just boom more. So, again, this is not even making a case for a Franklin, or even, but it's, like, the Franklin argument. This That's a better way to put it. And I am not pushing for James Franklin. I actually do not care. But I think, like, the argument for that is he's a guy who can recruit at an elite rate. So if you put him in mm-hmm. LSU, LSU's recruiting could even get better, I think. And he's a guy who I think people slightly under like people point to his like lack of holy crap success at Penn State. I think there's like I think people are kind of have a warped perception of how tough of a job Penn State is, if that makes sense. Like it's the clear number three job in the East. And even the East is five deep most years. And you're in the middle of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a good talent state. But still, it's like a hard place to recruit to nationally. You're in the middle of nowhere Pennsylvania. Like, that's not an easy job to do what he does every year. And the fact that he's always, like, nails hires at a pretty great rate, man. Like, Moorhead, uh, Yurcich, Pry. Uh, I'm forgetting another wonderful DC. I feel terrible about that. Um, but, like, I think I think he does. I think he's elevated that program at a level that like doesn't quite get enough credit and doing it consistently. So I think if you put it at Franklin and LSU, a guy who just knows how to run a program, he has other flaws, no doubt about it. But like that's an example or a fickle. I think fickle will be. I don't think fickle would take it personally. Like just me speculating, but I think fickle will be an incredible hire because fickle is a top to bottom program runner who just knows what he's doing. I'm sorry, I'm on a rant that isn't even that's away from your point, but I just I think part of me is just like. I think at LSU, if you hire a guy who just knows how to run the program top to bottom, you will thrive. I think it's a good point because I think the biggest selling point that Scott Warwick can say is that even though he hasn't been here, that, you know, uh, the last three coaches, Nick Saban, you know, being one of them, but Les Miles had his flaws off the field and on the field. Yep. Uh, Ed Orgeron has his flaws, as we can see. Uh, but every coach that has coached here in the past 20 years has won a national title. And they've played for another, and they've been – very consistently excellent aside from these last two seasons. So it, it is not hard for a incoming coach to see how he can succeed very quickly at LSU. You know, the athletic did this. Everybody else is, it's a top five job in the country. Like that's why I'm so curious. And here's the last thing I want to say about this. And then we can move on is that, you know, uh, like you said earlier, Scott is a, a very opaque man. I mean, yep. 
uh, you can say as a reporter, and I think every other reporter around LSU could probably say this, that uh, it's a hard guy to crack. No, he is not, you know, talking to a lot of people. There's not a lot of uh, Scott Woodward sources out there, probably. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm talking out of my ass there. But no, it doesn't seem like... No, reporters would tell you that, too, 100%. It, it doesn't seem like he is a guy that, you know, uh, makes use of the media like maybe some other people do. So, A, who's his big name? Like... He surprises people everywhere he goes. I mean, Jimbo was a big get. Sarkeesian was a huge get. I mean, Peterson was maybe the biggest. Peterson, get, arguably Peterson was any the of biggest them. one. Yeah. No, nobody expected Peterson to ever leave Boise State, and plucked him out of there. And Washington went to two playoffs with him. I mean, got or was it just one? Maybe got one, shellacked. but still, yeah. Got shellacked, but doesn't matter. He made a college football playoff, so. Like, I'm just so curious that a. I mean, it's it's so mysterious. I, I, I don't think it's going to be Jimbo. I assume not, <laughs> unless somebody wants so. to pay, unless somebody wants to pay out that full contract or something like that. I don't know. But um, anyway, I'm just curious. Um, also, LSU has a game this weekend. To to fully paint the picture to say how bleak it is, LSU Florida. Like the probably one of the most hyped cross division rivalries in the SEC. You know, all the other ones are pretty, um, haven't been great in the modern era. I mean, I know Alabama and Tennessee, which has been bloodbath after bloodbath. Um, Georgia Auburn has been pretty good, but like wasn't good this year. LSU Florida has always been a great game. And this game is now an 11 a.m. kick in Tiger Stadium. And with Coach's job on the line. The last time I saw it, and, and this was probably yesterday when you tweeted it, that Florida opened as a 10.5-point favorite, which is a massive line for an LSU-Florida game in Tiger Stadium. Just, oh, my God, kill me quickly. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a weird atmosphere, man. I mean, you know, they LSU uh, relaxed the vaccine rules, which was interesting. Um, I'm curious to see how many people are going to be there. I will be in the stadium. I'm just, man. I'm glad you brought sta- that up, actually. The, the stadium kind of cleared out in the second half of the Auburn game when LSU was winning. And I know it was a, it was a late game. Um, so I'm not going to be too, like, grumbly about the fans and stuff. But LSU was still winning the game. And a lot of people were leaving. Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Because I back to even the, like, the timing conversation with Scott Woodward, I, I really do, part of me heavily wonders. I think that's a good way to put it. If uh, I think Andy Staples some, taught me a long time ago on his podcast many times and wrote about it at length, is the the firing thing often comes down to it's not when you can afford to do it, it's when you can afford not to do it, when you can't afford not to do it. And right. the, it was the Florida State was the big example of this. But when a fan base reaches apathy, when you're losing money out the wazoo on tickets because no one wants to go, to some points that's when you have to do it. And I do wonder if. Against if you go out set eleven a.m. kickoff against arrival in Florida and you see like a 60 percent crowd, which part of me expects honestly, yep. that might be the final straw. That might be the oh you can't afford not to do it moment. And again, not I don't know, but I, I that's just to your point. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to say that earlier. I do I am watching for that. I do wonder if that's what happens next week. I'm just curious. You know, it was it was it was a, a big bummer the Auburn weekend because. You know, the vibe was around the stadium. It was buzzy. It was great. Tiger Stadium was back. And then that game happens, and then Kentucky happens, and this is 11 a.m. to where, 
unless you're a real sicko, you're going to get maybe <laughs> three hours, four hours of tailgating in max. Um, and then what is presumed to be a loss, it's not going to be like, oh, let's go back to the tailgate and keep partying on campus. I, I don't think it's going to be that. I think everybody's going to pack up and go home and it's going to be angry and everybody's going to be sitting in traffic calling into the post game show. And, um, I just don't think it's going to be a good time unless, unless they somehow come out and win the game, which would honestly be just like one of the more WTF moments of the season. It would be hilarious, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, it, I saw so many people on Twitter, like respond to my tweet about the spread saying like only 10. And I'm like, I think you're missing the point here. Do you realize how is wild a massive it is? Spread. A home game at LSU being a ten point dog against a non Alabama opponent is is jarring. So I think people need to really properly understand that. And honestly, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, well, so I will say this: uh, I always love to credit him, Action Network handicapper, and just a wonderful football mind, Colin Wilson. I'm a huge fan of his. He immediately put an LSU plus ten bet in, and. I just put that on people's radar because I think one of Colin's greatest strengths and something I always refer people to him for is you see so often we run away with reactionary things. And I think he's amazing. And what makes him such a good handicapper is knowing the reality without the context of the narratives going on and all that stuff and like the overreactions and all that. And he's so good at that of like everybody now thinks LSU's washed well plus 10 is actually a good bet. Granted, I believe he placed that before we knew the fates of Ollie Gay, Kayshawn Butte. I think Eli Ricks is actually pretty banged up too right now. Uh, It's before we knew all that, so I don't know if I'm saying that's like a good bet. It's just me putting that on people's radar because I do think a lot of the times he is good at the reversion to the mean kind of wagers. Yeah. We'll see, man. If, if you ask me right now, I would I would probably uh, bet Florida. That's that's just such a big spread, though. I wouldn't even touch the game. Don't bet on this game. Touching that's um, insane. If you touch it, yeah. you're stupid. Um, yeah, I think uh, SP Plus has LSU at a 19% chance of winning this game football game. I mean, maybe the atmosphere will be so dead that nobody's even excited about it in LSU. <laughs> Surprises you tra- them. You, you, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's the, uh, what is it, galaxy brain take. What if we trick Florida into sleeping (laughs) through it? Brilliant. Um, Okay, so last, the ultimate last question. Do you think that a 30-point loss or a 50% crowd participation on Saturday will be worse for Ed Ogeron and would force uh, a move on Sunday? Uh, Excuse me. Bless you. Jeez. Uh, yeah, that's called stalling. I can force myself to sneeze. <laughs> um, I think my gut says the, you know, I was going to say the crowd. Actually, no. I think a home blowout might be the worst. Like, you know, that's just a different context. You know, like you can always kind of explain away a road loss like that, like Kentucky, because that's just stuff happens. Like a 2017 Mississippi State, whatever. You know, like. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, I think a home blowout to a rival that's not even having a great year. I think that's probably the. Oh, shit moment. I think there is, I can speak for every LSU fan, that there is a unique level of vitriol reserved for Florida as well because, yep. you know, all the SEC West rival is it's like, yes, we don't like them. But, like, there is, like, a, I don't know. I don't even want to say it's a collegial feel, but it's like, yeah, we know you guys. You guys are jerks, but whatever. Go, go do your thing. But, like, Florida is, like, this special, like, they come in and it's, I don't know, there, there's a special level of animosity there that is lasting back to the Spurrier days and Spurrier 
would run up the score 60 to nothing on bad LSU teams. Um, that And so there's been some great games. I mean, you remember the hurricane disaster of the Darius oh, yeah. guys here uh, when everybody was very mad. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think a home blowout loss to a rival such as Florida would be very, very bad. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you're right. I, I just don't have a read on Scott. So my, my heart says that a, a blowout heart. loss, my heart says a blowout loss does it, but I don't know. I mean, Scott's also seems pretty impervious to any media pressure too. like, it's a great way to put it. So, I mean, maybe he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I don't There's know. anything I've learned from since he's taken over, he took over in the midst of Will Wade, title nine issues, all this stuff. Like, he does not care about, like, you put it perfect, like, he's impervious to media pressure. Like, he is a bottom-line thinker, and is just going to let you be mad all you want, and he is going to make the bottom-line decision that is best for this athletic department. And I'm not saying I know what's best or don't, but I think that's how he views it. So I think you nailed it. So I don't know either. <sighs> it's going to be a fun day. You know, uh, I, I will end on this. Uh, if you remember last episode, I asked people who had lasted this long to tweet at me to tell me everything was going to be okay. You got a few, I got, right? I, I got about 10. It was nice. Um, so uh, to anybody who has lasted this long, uh, tweet me on Saturday morning. Let's, let's commiserate. Uh, I will be standing in the shadows of Tiger Stadium, drinking a light beer, wondering why my favorite football team is in the dregs like it is. You know what? We can all commiserate and wonder what's next. <laughs> I don't know. Um, do you even want to give a score prediction for this game? Do you have a feeling? Oh, God. Uh, I'll say 34, no, 38-24 Florida. That feels right. I'm going to go with 34-17 Florida. Love it. Florida covers, and it's probably just enough to salvage Ed, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it's going to be fun. Uh, uh, I'm going to make the best of it. I'll never not show up to a game because I don't think LSU is playing well, but... Uh, I can tell you this is the least excited I've been to go to a home game in a long time. So, but you're still going, man. That's a win. Oh, come on. That's where we are. But that's who you, that's that's who we you are. are. Yeah. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, like, subscribe, give us a good rating, even though this has been a, a very uh, not fun season to cover. But I hope we have made it better. And you never know. We might be talking sooner rather than later. Absolutely. It's going to be a wild few weeks. And uh, we'll be here for every second of it, listeners. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you, Brody.